How are we doing? Good. Person next to you smell okay? No? You're like, preach fast, they stink. Hmm. Cool. Okay, so just out of curiosity, I need you guys, I really need you today to kind of press in with me, okay? I'm really going to try to be brief, um, but I want to make sure that you track with me. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever played the cloud game? You know, like when you're driving down the road, well, you shouldn't play this if you're driving, but I have been known to do this. But you're going down the road in the car, and you just kind of say, hey, let's look at the clouds and, and let's see what we see. Have you ever played that game? Okay, yes. Shake your head, yes. Okay. Um, I love how I said, shake your head, yes, and you all went, yes. <laughs> Have you ever been playing that game, and you saw it in the clouds, and you turned to the people around you and said, I see Frosty the Snowman, and they were like, what? Have you ever had that happen? Okay. And then you try to explain it to them, right? You say stuff like this. Look, see that cloud? It's frosty. And like, yeah, but we still don't see it. Well, like that cloud right there. It's like the, the belly and the pipe. and It's right there. Don't see it. It's frustrating, isn't it? Like you see it so clearly and then, and then you can't not see it, right? Like even when the cloud moves and it becomes like something other than frosty, like the belly's way over here and the hat's way over there, you still look at it and go, yeah, it's still there. He's really, really big now. He's frosty. And they're like, I, they never see it. It's really, really frustrating. So this morning, here's the thing for me, okay? This would be one of those days when if I could, I would just as soon cut my heart open and just, that's gross. But like, if I could just pour out of you what I feel like is in me, it'd be so much easier because I'm going to be saying a lot like, do you see it? And it's possible that you're going to say, no. Like I'm looking at the clouds. Y'all look so cool back at the diner tables, by the way. Love that. You like the diner tables? Maybe next week we'll have waitresses and waiters. Who knows? Chase fries, please. It's all the Australian I have. There's no more. Um, and it's going to be, I, it might feel a little bit like, Ugh, I don't know what you're, I think I know what you're trying to say. I'm trying to see Frosty. I don't quite see Frosty. So I just want you to hang with me. Will you, will you do that? Okay, I got Thomas. So that's all I need, right? Me and you, we're in it to the end. Um, you can turn, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Um, if you aren't familiar with where books are in the Bible, <clears throat> Isaiah, <clears throat> sorry, it's somewhere in the middle. That's going to sound so good on the podcast, isn't it? They're going to be like, the dude's dying. It's crazy. Isaiah is somewhere in the middle of your Bible. So if you just open to the middle, you should be pretty close to it. If you see Psalms or Proverbs, just go write two books and you're there. Isaiah chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. Um, <clears throat> sounds like a real spiritual question. I don't quite mean it this way. <clears throat> Have you ever been somewhere when God showed up? I, I'm hoping that you could say this morning, right? Um, but sometimes we, I mean, I don't know, I've grown up in church. I can honestly say there's times I've gone to church and I'm not sure Jesus went there. I'm not trying to be critical, I'm just, it's just reality. Um, there's times I've been places that weren't churchy at all. And I just knew, like, God's here. He just showed up in this place. And you can almost kind of 
feel him. Do you know what I'm saying? Or is this sounding too weird for some of you guys? You can almost feel him when he's there. We're going to see it's that experience in Isaiah chapter 6, okay? Isaiah wrote this book. He has an experience like that. What we're going to read is, is what kind of happened to this man. We're going to see how he responded, and his response is going to be our unword this morning. So we're doing this thing called the Unseries, which isn't a series, but it sure feels like one because every week we have another unword. Um, but this morning's unword is undone. Undone. Like, if you're a wife and you have a husband who doesn't know how to dress himself. Kind of like that, but not, right? Undone is the word that we're going to be looking at this morning. So I want to read to you Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And then we're just going to kind of, there's three things that Isaiah saw. We're going to talk about those and now kind of lay to his response. And then we'll pray. Isaiah chapter 6. Starting in verse 1 says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Let me just preface this by saying that none of us in the room probably really know what seraphs are. But the way that he just described them, six wings, wings are like, this is a powerful being. These are powerful creatures, okay? These are the kind of people that you walked into a room and saw them, and you're like, whoa. And, and here's what they do all the time. They call to one another, verse 3, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. So this morning, Phil said it a couple of times that you were created for more than just kind of the mundane, right? We were created for a purpose. We know Ephesians 2.10. We were created for good works, this is what they were made for. Like, they were made just to do that. Like, any, any actors or actresses in here? You've been on the stage before. You've done some trying to be discovered. You ever gone blank on your lines? I've been on stage with people who went blank on their lines, and that's always fun because you're trying to figure out how to say their line as your character so they can kind of figure out where to go with that. These are their lines. This is all they do. They don't have any more lines than this. These living creatures, these seraphs, all they do is say those two lines. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And it says, at the sound of their voices, their door, the door, doorpost and threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. These people had better voices than um, you. I, I mean, like, I, I don't know if you ever try to talk deep, try to talk powerful. You know, you kind of lower your voice a little bit. Stick your chest out. Holy, holy, holy. It just comes off sound like that, like stupid. Don't do that ever again, right? But these guys, they don't have to try to sound powerful. They just said this. Now, you can go back in the archives on our website, and you can find a sermon where I taught you this. That I remember when I realized they're not talking to God here. Did you catch that? They're not talking to God. Who are they talking to? Each other. This is like me and you in church. And we just did all the singing, right? We did all the singing to God. You know, we closed our eyes and we looked up because we're pretty sure he's up somewhere through that ceiling. And we raised our hands, our hands on the choruses because that's when it's powerful, right? Never on the verses, always on the choruses. It's things that Pentecostal people do, right? The music is swelling. Hands are going up. You know, right? These guys, listen, they're not singing to God. They're not singing to God. They're telling each other he's holy. He's, there's nobody like, he's holy. His glory fills the earth. They're just talking to each other about it. And guess what's happening? What's happening? 
stuff starts shaking. That'd be a pretty cool trick, wouldn't it? Later today, you're hanging out at the restaurant, you just start talking to each other. Hey, he's holy. God's holy. People freaking out. What causes that reaction? Our testimonies. Our testimonies cause that reaction. Like when people come up here and share their story, it makes things start to shake. I love that. You don't have to be a good singer, which is good news because you're not. Neither am I. All right, so here we go. Verse 5. Woe to me, Isaiah cried. Woe to me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who, will go from, who shall sin? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, Lord, send me. Here's three things that he saw. We'll just go through these really quick. Number one, he saw God on a throne. The first thing that Isaiah sees is God on a throne. He didn't just see God, and he didn't just see a throne. There's a, a Hebrew word for God. It's Yahweh. They didn't like to say it a lot. It was very holy. They didn't say that word a lot. That's not the word that he used here. This is important, okay? Listen, he used the word Adonai, which was the word for, like, Lord of all. His name was Adonai. He said, I saw Adonai seated on the throne. It's not a Lord on a throne. This is the Lord on the throne, high and exalted, more than any man could ever attempt to occupy. We're going to see at the end that his response is that he's undone. Listen to this statement. Most of us, and I'm saying us, including me, most of us don't live undone before the Lord because he's just an option instead of the option. See what I'm saying? When, um, when we sit on the throne... We're not going to be undone. Now, most of us are smart enough not to sit on the throne, right? Like, if we, if we literally could walk into a room and saw God's throne, it's not like going into your boss's chair behind his desk and just checking it out, kicking your feet up on the desk. I like it. Corner office, window, love it. Nice view. And then he walks in like, oh, hey, boss, I'm just fixing your desk for you. Most of us wouldn't actually walk into God's throne room and sit on the throne. We, we sit on the throne without sitting on the throne. Is that confusing? We say, hey, hey, you're on the throne. It's fantastic. But then we still call the shots. So basically, we're on the throne. Isaiah saw God, Lord over all. He saw him sitting on the throne. He didn't put himself in God's seat. I don't watch the show. I don't watch the series Game of Thrones. But we are a Game of Thrones culture, aren't we? We are always fighting for control. We are always fighting to make sure that the people that we love, the people that are just like us, get to sit on the throne. I don't recommend the series, but the fact that the whole plot, one of the major plots, is that everybody's fighting to get the Iron Throne, that's us, man. You, You wrestle in our culture to get control. Everyone's fighting to get on the throne. 
But there is only one throne and there's only room for one God on it. His name is not you. His name is not Paul. His name is Adonai. He is Lord over all. So Isaiah saw the Lord. The question is, and we'll get to it soon, do we? Do we see the Lord? Do we just see a God? He's awesome, man. That's fantastic. I love singing to you, but I'm going to take it from here. I got a Sunday God, but I don't have the other six God. He didn't see a Sunday God. He saw the Lord. Second thing that he saw was this. He saw the temple filled with glory. This is what happens when we see God as our Lord. When we see God as our Lord, when we see Him on the throne, when we give Him the most important position in our lives, He begins to fill things. His robe, here says, filled the temple. His glory filled the earth. There's shaking, there's smoke, there's power. There is a weightiness of glory. Something that is felt. I, I cannot speak for you, but I want that. I want to walk into a room and feel the weightiness of God's glory. There have been moments in my life when I have walked into rooms and felt the weightiness of God's glory. When, when you literally just stand still and you don't even want to move. This is Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6. God is on his throne. And this entire temple is filled with the glory of God. It's experienced. It's not disgust. It's not theory. It's reality. It is thick. It is heavy. Um, there's a word that's not in the Bible that you'll hear from time to time. People love to sing songs about Shekinah glory. And it's, it's not in the Bible. It doesn't mean it's not biblical. It just means it's not in the Bible. And, and it's a word that rabbis came up with to kind of describe what we're talking about this morning. Like when you just kind of feel God. It's this, it's this heaviness. It's just like, it's like for me last weekend, standing in a room in Atlanta, Georgia with a couple thousand people and this old guy that's like, I shouldn't say old because I'm fixing to say he's in his 60s. I'm so sorry for all of you in your 60s. I'll be there soon, baby. I'm running fast towards you, right? But he steps up on the platform and have, how many of you have seen Seinfeld? You know um, Uncle Jerry from Seinfeld? Jerry, I mean Uncle Lou, Jerry, he's always going, Jerry, he looks just like that. He, so he, he starts, and he starts rocking back and forth, his name's Lou Engel, he's, he's strange. And yet from the moment he stepped on the platform, for me, that entire room, something shifted in that room. It's the second time I've seen him, and both times it's happened. He's not special, he's just carrying some glory from God. And he steps on the platform and just starts to call people to pray. And like three, two, three thousand people just change. They're in groups of two or three and they're praying. And it's just like this roar before God. Something changed in that room. That's like rabbis went, how do we describe that? And so they came up with this word called Shekinah. And it kind of comes from like a root word that talks about shaking and heaviness. And that's exactly what we see here smoke and the room and everything's being shaken and it sounds a little bit weird right but you've already experienced this you've already bought into this concept ask me how I know say how do I know because you fall in love because you've been on dates now if you're young if you're young love if you're young love you don't even have to go on dates 
I don't know how this works in the texting culture, but back in the day when all we had were phones, it worked like this. You would call each other on the phone and just listen to each other breathe. <laughs> it was awesome. That's perfect for guys, too, because guys, you know, we don't like to talk. It's like, hey, baby, what's going on? I just wanted to say hey. <sighs> It's late, I'm tired. I'm just going to lay the phone on the pillow next to me and we can just go to sleep together. Oh. When girls go, oh, that's feeling the heaviness, the weightiness of love, is it not? There's YouTube videos. I didn't bring any today because I want to keep you tracking with me. But there's YouTube videos we could watch all day long of like guys doing really amazing romantic things for women. And you watch these at work when you're supposed to be working. And then you find yourself out loud going, oh, that's it. Like, when God shows up in a room, I want that with God. I, I want to feel him like that, his presence. And Isaiah did. Because the temple was filled with his glory. And that sounds so good, doesn't it? But we're not Isaiah, and we're not walking into some heavenly throne room. And so what in the world does that have to do with us at all? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll read it to you. You can just jot it down if you want to. You can look, look it up later. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. There's a lot here. I'm going to read it all to you, and then we'll move on, okay? Listen really closely. Paul's writing, and here's what he says. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, Oh, I know, I just, right, right there, you felt the weightiness, didn't you? <laughs> You're like, sexual immorality, oh crap, where are we going, right? Just hang with me. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body, by His power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ Himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her and her body? Everybody say, huh? You already understand what that means. I've just seen if you're still with me. For it said the two will become one flesh, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18 says this, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Here's the big verse. Do you not know that your body, everybody say body. That's your body. That's your out of shape, fat, skinny, tall, short body. That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Oh, so now we're not talking about Isaiah. Now we're not talking about like some throne room that's in a movie somewhere way off in the distance. Where Morgan Freeman is all in white. And Jim Carrey's going, ha! But he's got six fingers. This is real now because we're the temple. Did you see that? He says, we're the temple. We've received the Holy Spirit from God. You were not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. He's Lord on the throne. And we are temples. And we are destined to be full of His glory. So here's what that means. That means 
And we don't always do this well, okay? And I don't either. But it means that if we're the temple of God and we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, it means that if God is on the throne of our lives, if He is Lord of our lives, not just a God, not just an option, but we're all in on God. We got no other shot. We're all in on God. It means that when we walk into places, we're the temple and we're bringing something with us. And what we're bringing is the glory of God to any and every situation. So your boss, unless they're here with you, don't point them out. Your boss, who's a total jerk, although you don't use the word jerk, there's another one that comes to mind. It means that instead of you praying for him to die or her to die or be transferred to some other country that's really cold and nobody else inhabits it, it means that when you step onto your workplace, onto that property, into your office, into the staff meeting, it means that you as the temple of God with the Holy Spirit in you bring something to the table. And what you bring to the table, if he's Lord of your life, is you bring this heavy, weighty glory of God. The kind of glory of God that, like, you step in the room and your boss suddenly is like, I don't know what's going on right now, but something's different right now. I, I don't, I can't even, I can't even explain it. Can you imagine what would happen in our city if Christians carried that with them everywhere they went? Cable prices would drop overnight. No, they wouldn't. I'm just messing with you. We just wouldn't get so mad when the cable goes out, right? The entire atmosphere of a city could shift just because the people of God started thinking of the glory of God as a Sunday thing and started realizing that, oh, when I put Jesus on the throne of my life, when I take myself off, it's not about, did you see when we read that in 1 Corinthians, all the times that Paul said, I could do these things, but maybe I shouldn't. I could eat this, but maybe I don't need to eat this. I could go have sex with a prostitute, maybe I shouldn't have sex with a prostitute. I don't need to unite my body, although I can. And then at the end he's like, hey, you're bought with a price, you're not your own, honor God with your body. Those are like, that's like master, servant language, isn't it? That's the language of a person who says, I'm not calling the shots of my own life anymore. I'm giving, I'm giving that up to somebody else. His name is Jesus. He's the Lord of my life. I'm putting him on the throne. And when we are living like that, his glory fills this temple. And we walk into places and people start to say, dude, what is it about you? I do not understand. What makes you so different? And you, you can't get away with, I go to the gathering. Because apparently, they might look at you and say, well, I've been to the gathering too. But I'm not like that. It's not about church. It's about who's the Lord of your life? Who's sitting on the throne? And if we're, if we're competing for that throne, we'll never carry the glory with us. And the people that I find, like, you know, talking about Lou Engle, just rocking back and forth down at Jesus Culture. And all he had to do was like say five sentences and like the whole room is just crazy with people just falling out like, fall, like on their knees and just praying with each other and just suddenly just passion just erupts you know why because he's not the lord of his life he's a 61 year old man who has said to, to 
Jesus, whatever you say, I'm going to do it. Man, that kind of passion, that happens when we put Jesus on the throne and his glory fills our temple. So, it's what Isaiah saw next and what he did about it that's going to hold the key for us. And so here's the third one. This is so critical for me and for you and for our church going forward. I love these tables. I love these tables. Y'all look so good. Sorry. All right, before we get to this last point, um, I need to make sure you understand something. So here's a couple verses I want you to jot down. This is going to sound really harsh, but it's not. It's just truth, okay? We just need to get this out. And for the most part, um, Christians don't like to think about these truths, okay? So let's just spit them out there, and then we'll move on to the good stuff. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that your heart and my heart, they are deceitful above all things. Everybody say deceitful. Fun word to say, bad concept, okay? It means that our hearts are deceitful above all things. So that means that our hearts like to trick us. How do our hearts trick us? Things like this. I just, I just fell out of love with you. <laughs> really, like you fell in love, right? Like it was an accident waiting to happen, right? Now you chose love and now you're choosing out, right? But our heart will trick us. I just don't feel it anymore. Mm. No. Our hearts are deceitful. They'll trick us. Now that sounds bad. It's easy to say, and I've heard people say this. Yeah, but that's Old Testament. That's before Jesus came. Jesus changed all that, right? Wrong. John 2, 24. John 2, 24, <clears throat> Jesus is standing in a, in a huge crowd, and this crowd loves him, because crowds typically do. They love Jesus. They're like, man, you are awesome. You're the best thing that's happened here since, like, last month. You're fantastic. And he could have just, like, totally rallied those people and had a big mob and had a parade and taken over everything, but John 2, 24 says that Jesus did not trust men. He did not give himself to men because he knew what was in the heart of man. That's man and woman, by the way, because I saw all the women going, mm-hmm, you talking to that guy right here? That's right. I know, but it's generic. It's generic. Generic's a fancy word for it. Sucks for you, too. <laughs> and then finally, as if that's not enough that Jesus said it, just to drive the point home, and we won't read it all, but if you turn to Romans chapter 6, you'll find Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, the guy that used to be Saul, used to kill Christians. Jesus saved him, redeemed him, made him the person that wrote two-thirds of our New Testament, um, amazing man of God. Even as a Christian in Romans 6, he said these words, I cannot always do what I want to do. Sometimes I do what I don't want to do. And he closes the whole thing out, great testimony with, I am a wretched man who will deliver me. Thanks be to God. So even then, I mean, our hearts, do you understand what I'm saying? Our hearts are, are wickedly deceitful. Even if I'm following Jesus, if I don't stay close to Jesus, if I don't keep him on the throne, I will always devise ways to bump him off. Can, I, can, I just said that, right? I just said that I think, I try to think of creative ways to bump Jesus off. But so do you, right? Like, we're always thinking of these creative ways to bump Jesus off the throne. Jesus, you are looking awesome in that robe today. Boom, right? We're always looking for ways just to get, just, hey, just for a day, Jesus. Can I be Jesus for a day? You know, we're so creative. We're so creative. We find all kinds of ways to not let him be Lord. And we need to understand that, okay? Before we talk about the third thing that Isaiah saw, we need to understand that we are experts 
at letting our hearts deceive us. So, why is that so important? Because it is our tendency to walk into a room with a throne and sit on it. We, we, we try to get spiritual about it. We say we gave the throne to God, but then we make it all about us, which means we're still on the throne. Let's, maybe we should talk about what, what Isaiah didn't do. <clears throat> Isaiah did not walk into a throne room and see a throne and see an awesome, powerful God on the throne and see this amazing light. I don't know if you like rock shows. I, love, I just love loud music. I love light shows. I love smoke. I love the whole deal. I like it all. So this is what Isaiah is seeing. Am I right? He's walking into a room, and there's like, there's like light, and there's probably thunder, and there's like smoke everywhere, and stuff's rattling. It's like being in a really bad car with a great bass. Stuff's just going, and he's just, here's what he didn't do. He didn't walk in and go, of course, because I'm here. Yes, this is all for me. Thank you, God. Finally, somebody recognizes how much I deserve a rock concert just for me. He didn't do that. He didn't step into that environment and think think it was all for him. He stepped into that environment, and here's what he said. I am ruined. I am everything that you are not. You are exalted and powerful, and I am undone. Depending on what translation you have, that word is lost, ruined, doomed. He saw God on the throne. He saw the glory filling the temple. And then he, the third thing is he saw himself in light of one and two. I'm calling you this morning to see yourself in the light of a Lord. I'm calling you to see yourself in the light of the glory that fills an earth because of that Lord. To see yourself in the light of that God. And Isaiah did. And because he saw himself in the light of that God... And that glory, he fell and he just simply said, I am undone. The typical reaction among American Christians at a spectacle like God and his glory is to say, I am awesome. And of course, I deserve this. And Isaiah's was different. Isaiah's response was, I'm undone. The word, we're almost done. The word literally means this. That word means to be cut off. To be cut off. Which is kind of weird, isn't it? Because in one sense, I think what Isaiah is saying is, I'm, I've, I've got no hope. I, I mean, you are so holy, and I am so sinful. I'm unclean lips. I come, like, clean your lips, people. What's up with that, Right? He's, he's unclean. He comes from people with unclean lips. He's just, like, as far back as I can go, I'm just seeing unclean. And here you are. You're holy and you're perfect. And I am undone. I am ruined. I am lost. I have no shot. I get that. I think that's part of what he's saying. But here's the other part of that word. I think what he's saying is I'm cut off. I, I, everything else is going to fade away right now. It's just me and you. And, and I, it's, I, I'm cutting all my other options out. I am undone. I am wrecked. Something happens when we really see the Lord. Stuff starts to fade away. Other things, other people. And and the shame of it is it takes bad stuff to make that happen. Or really good stuff. Like when when you first get married, 
or you first really fall in love, nobody can tick you off, right? Because you're in love. Because butterflies and birds are chirping and the sky's always blue even when it's raining. It's just perfect, right? Just brings such clarity because you're like, I've got him. Oh, the weightiness of it all. And on the flip side, really bad times do that. Is it just me? Like when, when, when I lost mom and Stephen and they died, I, I remember going to church like the next week and uh, you'd hear people in church arguing over stuff. I know that never happens here, you know, but like in some churches it does. It's like a sport. They'd argue over things. And I remember, st- I remember standing there and, and, and what I'm thinking, I'm listening to them and I'm like, I'm sure that's really important. But dude, in light of what I just went through, that does not matter. Like the color of the carpet right now does not matter. There are more important things. Sometimes when we really see God, it kind of clarifies, doesn't it? What matters and what doesn't. And I think part of what's going on with Isaiah here is he's like, you know what? I really finally, for the first time, I see you. And nothing else matters. You're it. This is my option. He's cut off from everything else. He had one option. It was God. And he was undone. So here's how we're going to land this. Um, We've got to ask the question, what does all this mean for us, right? It's the part where I say I don't have any idea. <laughs> Kidding. Here's one thing that it means. It means that until we're in that place, until we're in the place where we are undone and cut off from all other options but Jesus, we will not allow God to send us, okay? So we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I just want to read you again the very end of what we read in Isaiah chapter 6. So Isaiah sees God on the throne. He sees his glory fill the temple. He sees himself in light of both of those. And then the whole thing ends. One, and I know we shouldn't just go past this quickly because this is a fantastic part of the whole story. He's cleansed. Just take a quick look around the room. Go ahead. Have you ever seen so many sinners in one place? He, he cleansed him. The good news is that when you really start to see God for who he is, you'll, you'll start to see yourself for who you are too. And God doesn't leave you in that place. I love that. He, he sent, he took coal and he, I mean, not literally, but he touched him and he said, you're clean now. It means there's always hope, right? How do we say it here? If you're breathing, you're redeemable. There's always hope. Until the day you die, there's hope. Because I serve a God who is holy and loves to cleanse people. He did that for him. And what did he do after he cleansed them? He gave them something to do. He said, who can I send? Who will go for me? And Isaiah said, I'll go. Send me. Until we get undone, until we're cut off from all the other options, we will not allow God to send us. I'm not trying to, like, make you feel bad any more than I feel bad. But the reality is 
that if we truly believe that it's only Jesus that can save a soul and that the likelihood of them finding Jesus goes up dramatically if they're sitting in a chair next to you this morning, they'd be here. Right? I would have brought somebody. Well, I, I would have brought somebody. I would have at least asked somebody. There's a mission. The mission is 16,000 people in Albemarle. The mission is not to be a big church. It's not to be the biggest church. The mission is to be a church packed full of people who understand that there's 16,000 people in Albemarle that do not all know Jesus. And so when we see ourselves undone, totally cut off, when Jesus is our only option, suddenly it becomes a lot easier for us to say to God, send me, I'll go. I'll tell somebody. And here's how it might start for you. It might start the way it did for me this week. Just simply stopping, and I was gone last week. We talked about hitting a pause button. For me, this past week has been simply stopping in front of people that I see every single week and asking this one question. Hey, man, how can I pray for you? So this week, I, I got to pray with John, which was cool, over some carpal tunnel stuff going on in a house that needs to sell. And I got to pray with somebody named Jackie that needed peace at the work, in her workplace. All because I just said, hey, how can I pray for you? Well, wait, aren't you supposed to invite him to church? No. We want to point him to Jesus, right? That's the key, is to point people to Jesus. And I would never do that if pride is still an option, if looking cool is still an option, if not failing is an option. See, I would never do that, right? What makes us look like a fool? We've do you see how all these unwords have lined up together without us even trying? What makes us play the fool is he's all we got. Just me and Jesus. I mean, not like me and Jesus in a selfish way, but like he's my only shot. I'm cut off. It all starts with being undone. Here's the, here's the big idea. Until we're undone, we won't get the job done. It's not really inspiring. It, it repeats a word, but... It sure does say it, doesn't it? Until we're undone, we will not get the job done. I don't know which famous person said this, but somebody was asked, how do you do evangelism? And he's like, well, I don't really like to do evangelism. But he used to tell people about Jesus all the time. And I'm not calling you to, I'm just, just hear what I'm saying, okay? Just hear what I'm saying. So I said, well, then how do you do it? Because you're so good at, like, telling people about Jesus. He goes, oh, well, like, anywhere I go, I just look at people and I just envision them on fire. And I ask myself this question. If I was standing here and that person was really on fire, what would I do? I'd help them. It's challenging. Because that means when we step into any environment and there are people there, if we really start to envision people apart from Jesus, they are on fire. And we're just watching them burn. But not when we're undone, when we're cut off from fear and pride. Then it's just like, dude, can I throw myself on you and put the flames out? I'm just going to tackle you right now, and you're going to hate me when it's over, but you're not going to be burning. I, I wrestled with how to tell you how to live this out practically because I'm not totally sure. Um, I think a big part of it is simply deciding that you're all in. It's simply deciding that Jesus is my only option. 
And so here's kind of what that means to me. Our yes to Jesus means a no to everything else. So if we use marriage as the illustration, I didn't say yes to Wendy until something better came along. Right? Those would be great vows, wouldn't they? Those would not make women go, oh, honey, I'm for better or for worse until someone a lot prettier than you is offering themselves to me and then I'm out. I didn't marry Wendy just to kind of hold on until I met somebody better. So when I said yes to Wendy, it's no to everybody else. Right? Oh, dear God, that should have been a much better yes. <laughs> right? <laughs> I married her because something about her ruined me. There's some awesome women. They just aren't anything like Wendy. She's ruined me, right? Totally. Totally. I think somehow it should be like that with Jesus. It's just falling in love with Jesus should ruin us. I remember when I first was getting to know Wendy, I, I just could never quite say the right thing. Um, I would you know, maybe try to write a poem, and it just eh, wasn't that great, and I try to be a certain way. I just, I feel awkward sometimes. You ever, you know, like when you fall first on love, you ever meet somebody, they just make you feel totally awkward. You just don't, you just don't know how to act around them, you know? You, you hear yourself reciting really romantic poetry, but what they hear is, it's terrible, right? You just totally don't know how to act. I want to be like that with Jesus. I just want to be ruined. I want to be wrecked. I want to stand in his presence and not quite know what to do next. And that's the, that's the cloud game. That's the, Frosty, that's what I want you to see. And, and I don't even think I'm doing a good job of helping you see it. I, I just don't know. I want you to see that. I want you to see the, the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne, I want you to see his glory spilling out of your life in such a heavy, tangible, weighty way that, weighty way, that's awesome, that people around you are just like, something about you is different. I want you to see him in such a way that none of these others, nothing else matters. Like somebody could come in here and say that you're the worst person ever, that you're the meanest most, you're, they're like a dog. I can't stand you. I, I just wish you'd leave me. They could cut you so deep. And yes, it would hurt, but it's like he's still my option. I'm undone. This is all. I'm wrecked. This is all that I want. When um, we need to get done and pray. When I was first in in youth group as a youth pastor. I remember my very first youth group, it was really, really tiny. And we had metal poles like this. And um, we would play games and stuff in the, in the, the basement of the church. And you know, like, I can remember kids running into the poles. I mean, not on purpose. <laughs> that would be stupid. But just accidentally while we're playing. Just it was a crazy time. Not a very big group at all. They wanted to be big. But we like, you know, like 10 people. And then like we mushroomed to 40 you know, but the church was like 80, and so half the church was teenagers, and so that can't last long. And I just remember, the one thing I remember about that time was in our basement, 
like we had this little out-of-tune piano, and we had this girl, her name's Kalani Gleckler, and she's now famous and is a great worship leader, and just search for the word Kalani and buy all her stuff. It's amazing. But she didn't know how to play anything back then. She was just like, you know, I'll just play guitar and lead worship. And so then she graduated. We had no worship leader. And so I just said, well, I kind of know how to play the piano. And so if you'll just like give me the, like the sheets with like C and G and D and I'll figure it out and I'll just lead until we find somebody else. And I can remember so many times down in that basement with like 10, 15 teenagers just playing the piano. And it, it probably was horrible. And we would just sing until we couldn't sing anymore. And those kids would just, man, they would just, there was no way God couldn't show up, right? Because they were like your kids when your kids are like, please, 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 please. And you're just like, fine, whatever, take it. You know, not like God did that. But at some point, it's just like, God's just like, I'm going to hang out with those kids because they're, they, they're crazy about me. And he would just, God would just show up in that little basement. Like nothing fancy. We didn't have lights. Just, just God showed up. And it was like. This is what I want. This is what we want. And I left that church. God called me to another church. And the next church I went to, they didn't know anything. I mean, these kids like nothing about worship. They, they weren't even remotely interested in worship. They just want to play bingo all the time. Um, and so here I am, right? Like this is just got to get stuff in my head. I just left this youth group where people were like, they're always, they just wanted God. And God just showed up and it was like this heavy, weighty, Shekinah, glory kind of stuff. And then I stepped into Let's just play. (laughs) Really? And I was so wrecked for the presence of God that I went out and bought a keyboard. (laughs) We didn't have a band or nothing like that, so I didn't know what else to do. I just got this keyboard, and and I learned how to play the songs on the keyboard, and I I found the button, like when you hit it, it would play the drum track, which if you've ever played a drum track on a keyboard, it's really cool for a second or two, and then you want to kill people. And it was like that, you know, it was like, I mean, every song we did, fast or slow, kind of had the same sound because you just hit the button, you know, just kind of playing. And those, kind, those kids probably thought I was, a, I was an alien, and I probably was. And I would tell them all the time, I know this is so foreign to you guys, you might not even be into it, but I've been somewhere. I've been to a place where I, I stood in a room and God showed up, and, and, and I just I don't want this because I've had that. And I want to help you find this. And that's, don't you know every conversation Isaiah had with anybody past this point was different? It all started like this. I saw the Lord. Do you see him? He's right there. I saw him. Look. Something changes when we see him. Job 42.5, the end of that book, the end of Job 42.5, Job says this, my ears had heard of him, but now, now my eyes have seen him. Man, I'm telling you, everything changes when you see God. Everything changes when you see God. And when his glory fills you and you respond in light of that, we will be a church that is wrecked. We will be a church that will not always do everything the right way, but we will be passionate about seeking Jesus. People that want Jesus and want other people to know that we'll be going, look, it's frosty. Just look, just picture it. It's frosty, right? What? You don't see it? Come, it's frosty. 
My ears had heard of him. That's the South. That's the Bible Belt. Everybody's heard of Jesus. But where are the people who have now seen him? My eyes have seen him. When we're in that place with Jesus, we'll find ourselves like Isaiah saying, send me, God. Send me. I'm undone. I have no other options. Burn the ships. I'm all in. Just send me to people that need Jesus. Jesus.